Now, as we dive into our new series, I'm curious, how many of you would say that at any point in your life, you wish that your parents had given you a different name? Anybody? There's more people than, than I realized in the first service and the second service that, that raised their hands. So how many of you, or, or would you tell me your names? Uh, what kind of names did you wish that you had? Oh, we got real quiet. <laughs> you were eager to throw your hand up and then you got quiet. My okay, so what is it? Marie. Marie, wonderful. What other names? Michael. Michael. Trent. Trent is a wonderful name. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a trending name in uh, you know, 2021. All right, so I am one of those people that wished my parents had given me a different name. And it wasn't that I hated my name. It was just that when I was in elementary school, there was another name that I thought was so cool. So you want to know what it is? Okay, I'll tell you. All right, so uh, the name I wish my parents had called me is the name Sean. Do we have any Seans here? Any Seans around? Um, no, maybe you watch it online. If your name's Sean, just type in, yay, Sean. <laughs> so I don't know why I love the name Sean. There's just something about it I thought was really cool. Maybe it was because I have a cousin named Sean. And uh, my cousin Sean, Steve, and Lance and I, all cousins around the same age, we had big plans when we were in elementary school. When we grew up, we were all going to grow our hair out real long. <laughs> Not sure why you're laughing. We're going to grow our hair out real long. We were never going to get married, and we were going to start a rock band. So you can tell that didn't quite work out for me, so I fell back into ministry um, because being a rock star didn't work out. So uh, I'm not sure why I love the name Sean, but there's just something about the name Sean. I'm like, oh, I just love that name. But if you think about it, the name Sean plus my last name, which is Shocky, so people mess it up all the time, but it's Shock with an E on the end of it. So Sean Shocky has way too many shushes in it, and I don't like to be shushed by anybody, so that one wasn't gonna work out. So I'm grateful for the name Trent. But if you're ever somebody who wished you had a different name, God does this really cool thing in scripture. About a handful of times, God comes along and changes someone's name. That name change was significant for them. It changed how they viewed themselves. It changed their identity. It changed their legacy. It radically changed everything about them in their experience in the world. So in this series, we're going to explore some of the name changes that are found in scripture and the significance for us today. And the reason we're doing that is because I believe God is still in the name changing business. And I'm grateful for that. Now, as we dive in, let me tell you the bottom line thought for this series. The bottom line thought uh, is this, but before we can you bring that up, uh, um, don't read the bottom line thought yet. All right, so before, before we bring that up, let me tell you what the bottom line thought is. So I call it the BLT. It's the main idea for what we're talking about on Sundays. And uh, what I hope is later today, you know, like at lunchtime, which is not that far away, at lunchtime, when you're thinking back to the message, you're scratching your head saying, what did the bald guy talk about? Like, I can't really remember. Hopefully, your mind will be drawn to the bottom line thought. The bottom line thought is the main idea. It's a thing that we hope that God will use in our lives throughout the week to help us apply what we're learning in the message. So here we go. Here's the bottom line thought for this series. Each message in this series has a bottom line thought, but this series itself has a bottom line thought, and it's this. We aren't the names other people call us. We are the name God calls us. 
So we aren't the names other people call us. We are the name that God calls us. There's a lot of powerful truth, I think, in that statement that we will learn together over the next few weeks. So if you are new to faith, if you're just kind of exploring faith, just checking out to see you know, if faith could be something valuable in your life, I'm glad you came today because today we're gonna learn something amazing about God and his pursuit of us. And to learn that, we're gonna go back about 4,000 years in history. We're gonna go back and we're gonna learn from some real people in a real time frame, and we're gonna learn about their story and how God changed their names and how that can impact us today. We're actually gonna go back to Genesis chapter 11, and we're gonna read a lot of Bible verses today, and I'm gonna try to unpack them as we go along. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 27 says this. It says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. So that is a location in the Middle East. So that was the land of his birth while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah, were daughters of Nahor's brother Haran, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Verse 31 says, one day Terah took his son Abram and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's wife, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Then Genesis chapter 12, verse one says, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Um, would anybody like God to come along and give you a promise like that? Anybody here? Like, I think that would be phenomenal. I mean, some parts of that promise are amazing. I mean, the part to make um, Abram famous, and I, I know that this is a spoiler alert, um, but has anybody ever heard of Abraham? Anybody heard of Abraham before you came in here today? Okay, so God kept his promise 4,000 years ago. So we know about Abraham. That's who we're learning about today. But this point, he's called Abram. And God promised to bless Abram and to fight against people who try to curse him. Like that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? You think about that irritating coworker that like really gets under your nerves that you would like to put them in their place. God could do that for you with a blessing like this, like that would be really amazing. But there are other parts of God's instruction that were a little bit weird. Like, um, Abram, I want you to go somewhere. Okay, God, where are we going? Somewhere. I'll show you. Uh, God, really, where are we going? I like to plan. I, you know, I like to you know, uh, check out on Google Maps, like have the best route for getting there. Like, no, you're just gonna have to trust me. You just have to go with me. Imagine coming home from working, having that conversation with your spouse. Whether you come home and talk to your husband, come home and talk to your wife, and um, you say, honey, we gotta talk. Um, we gotta move. Like, what, uh, what do you mean we gotta move? Where are we moving? I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? We gotta move and you don't know where we're going. Who told you this? Do you know, did, did your coworker tell you this? No, God did. 
So at this point, we got to ask the question, who is God? So we have no record of God interacting with Abram before this. So apparently, God shows up one day in Abram's life and says, hello, Abram. You don't know me yet, but I want you to trust me. And I want to take you on an adventure. So if you had had that experience, would you be packing your bags and getting ready to leave or trying to figure out what you had for dinner last night? I wouldn't be ready to leave. But verse four says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. That's a powerful statement. God spoke. Abram obeyed. No questions. He just obeyed. And as I read through their story, I have to pause and go like, wow, that's challenging for me. Why? Because I struggle with obedience to God at times. Anybody else struggle with that? Thanks for your honesty. Like, I think we all struggle with that, don't we? There are moments that I will pray and ask God, God, would you tell me what to do in this specific situation? Like, I don't know what to do. I need your help. You be clear, I'll do it. God speaks and I say, do you got anything else? Like, I don't really love that plan. Like, I don't think that's the best plan for me right now. What about option two or three? Uh, Keep working on it. Maybe you'll come up with a better plan, God. So I struggle at times with obedience to what God wants me to do. But Abram, in this moment, he just believed God and he departed. Verse four continues, says, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. We'll get back to that in a minute. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now we're gonna skip ahead in this story. We're gonna go to chapter 15 and listen to what verse one says. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision And said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Remember, his wife couldn't have children. And so he said, since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own. So one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took him outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, how many of you have ever seen a starry night that's not interfered with by city lights? Anybody been out in the middle of nowhere and kind of seen the sky at night? It is amazing. It's breathtaking. You know, if you look up at the night sky uh, in our community, if you're around some city lights, you know, you'll see a handful of stars and it's kind of neat to see the constellations. But when you get out away from city lights and you look up at the starry sky, it's like the sky explodes with light that God created. And you think about the context of where those stars are and where we are, how many light years those things are away. Like if your mind isn't blown you need to check your pulse, okay? It's like, wow, it's mind-blowing to be out. And I can just imagine Abram laying out under a starry sky and saying to Sarai, 
Um, God said he would bless us with descendants, like more than the stars that, that there are in the sky. So like one, two, four, six, 10. Like, wow, this is gonna take a while. Like, how many are there? Like, there are a lot. The interesting thing is, if Abram had started counting back then 4,000 years ago, he'd still be counting today. In our little neighborhood of the universe called the Milky Way, Scientists tell us there are 100,000 million stars. I'm glad somebody counted that because I sure can't count that high. And our Milky Way is one galaxy, millions of galaxies in our universe. So how many stars are out there? Wow, I don't know. God promised to give Abram millions of descendants. Genesis chapter 15, verse six says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. It's a powerful statement about Abram and his faith in God doing what only God can do. Now here's where our story takes an interesting twist. If you look in chapter 16, verse one, it says, Sarai, Abraham's wife had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. So go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have a child through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now, you don't have to to read any farther to know that that was a bad idea. Anybody else know that was a bad idea? Like right there, like you know it. And this is like talking with somebody that you know in your life, you know, maybe a family member or a friend, and they're trying to convince you that this thing that they're about to do is the greatest thing in the world. And you're thinking, this is stupid. Like, why would you ever do that? This is not going to end well. Anybody have anybody in your life like that, that they're doing something you know they shouldn't do? Um, that was this situation. It did not go well. Hagar got pregnant created all kinds of dysfunction in that family unit. It created conflict that our world experiences today in the Middle East. When you see conflict in the Middle East, there's a really good chance that that conflict can be tied back to this decision. Now, it's easy to sit on the outside of a story and kind of play, you know, uh, Monday morning quarterback and, you know, talk about the things that that person should have done or shouldn't have done. But how many of you will admit that sometimes we make stupid decisions in our lives as well? Anybody else willing to admit that? Too many times in my life, I've looked back on a decision I thought was the greatest thing in the world and I've asked myself, why did I do that? That was really stupid. What was I thinking in that moment? It was not a smart idea. If you've ever felt like that, you can be encouraged by the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with Paul, Paul is this amazing Christ follower who was used by God to spread Christianity around the the world. And even Paul said in Romans chapter seven, verse 15, he said, I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So Paul lived in that tension that we all live in of making stupid decisions and trying to figure out how how to live with that. We all do that. But I want you to listen to what God did in Genesis 17. Verse one says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. 
At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. And then in verse 15, God said to Abraham, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. So God changed their names. Abraham means the father of many nations and and Sarah can be translated or understood as the mother of many nations. And then God went on and he kept his promise. He gave them a son. Genesis chapter 21 verse one says, the Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. And I love this next sentence. This happened at just the time God had said it would. At just the time. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. And Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Can you imagine being 100 years old and like looking for diapers? (laughs) Trying to figure out how to take care of a newborn? can't imagine that. But God kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah exactly when and exactly how he promised. And guess what that means for you and I? If you're a Christ follower, God will keep his promise to you. Whether that's an individual promise or a global promise to all Christ followers, God will keep his promise exactly how and when he said he would. May not happen when you want, may not happen how you want, but God will keep his promise. And God went on to fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah, gave them millions of descendants. Romans chapter four, verse 16 says, Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean. When God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. So, What it means there is that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior is considered a descendant of Abraham. If you've ever made that decision, or if you ever make that decision in your life, you're considered a descendant of Abraham. You're part of that cluster of stars that God promised to Abraham. Again, God promised to bless them, and God did. And he fulfilled his promise exactly when he said he would. That's an amazing story. And I definitely encourage you to spend some more time reading it this week. There's a whole lot that we've skipped through. Um, But one of the questions that I have about Abraham and Sarah's story is this. Why did God bless them after their stupid decision with Hagar? Why did God choose to continue to bless them after that? And something else that we didn't read this morning is that Abraham had a lying problem. He lied on several big occasions and it got him in big trouble. And I wonder, like, why would God continue to bless them? I mean, mean, God shows up in Genesis 17, verse one, and he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And I'm gonna make a covenant with you. It certainly doesn't seem like Abraham and Sarah were living blameless lives. So why would God bless them anyway? 
Thankfully, the Apostle Paul answers that question. In Romans chapter four, verse one, he says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then verse four says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God. What are those next three words? Who forgives sinners. So did Abraham and Sarah need to be forgiven? Absolutely they needed to be forgiven for the stupid things that they had done. And God forgave them because God's promises weren't based on them living perfect lives. God's promises are based on who he is and the fact that he will do exactly what he says he will do. And I am personally so glad, we should be personally glad that God did not tell Abraham to live a sinless life. A sinless life and a blameless life are different. A blameless life is not a sinless life. There's only one being who ever lived a sinless life and that was Jesus, God in the flesh. But the rest of us, We have sinned, but it is possible for us to live blameless lives. You know what a blameless life is? It's when you break stuff, you fix it. When you sin, you run to God for forgiveness. You allow God to transform you into a new person. When you hurt relationships, you do everything you can to rebuild those relationships. That's more of what it means to live a blameless life. It doesn't mean living a sinless life. It doesn't mean living a perfect life. It means fixing the things that we've damaged. It means believing in God and his work in our lives that only he can transform us into the people that he wants us to be. Only he can do that. We can't. We can't get there on our own good works. We get there on the work that Jesus has done for us in our belief in him and allowing him to transform us. So that's a, a blameless life. That's a life that God, I think, wants all of us to live. And the reality of life is this. We're all gonna fail God. We're all gonna make stupid decisions. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that encouraging? Some of you might right now be thinking about a stupid decision you made a week ago. You might be thinking about a stupid decision you made this morning. We're all gonna fail God at some point in our lives. We're all gonna try to help God out with his plan for, for us. And when we do that, What we should do is run to God for forgiveness, receive his forgiveness that he offers graciously to all of us. We should receive that and understand that our relationship with God is based on who he is and the promises that he has made for us. Now, let me be clear about something there. Every once in a while when I teach around this this topic, some people uh, think I'm saying, well, that means we can go live any way we want. That is not what I'm saying. If you run out of here and think, you know what? I can go live any way I want because God's just gonna give me forgiveness. He's gonna pour his grace and mercy out on me. I'll just receive that. I'll just go do whatever. You're skating on thin ice and you really don't understand what it means to receive God's grace and mercy. So our lives should be lived in response to what Jesus has done for us. Does that mean we're gonna be perfect? No, but it means we can be blameless. Means we can own our mistakes. We can fix what we break. We can run to God for forgiveness and we can learn how to live a little bit more like Jesus every day. 
Amazing thing about Abraham and Sarah's story for me is that God turned a couple of nobodies into somebodies because they trusted him. And if you read through their story and, and you wonder like, why would God pick Abram and Sarai? They weren't kings and queens of a country. They weren't political leaders, didn't have children. In that culture, that was a really big deal. And uh, you know, in our culture, it's still a big deal, but it was an e- even bigger deal back then. And God comes along and he picks them. They were nobody, nobody. If we didn't have this story recorded and God's promise and God fulfilling this promise, we wouldn't know anything about Abram or Sarah. But today we're reading about Abraham and Sarah because God comes along and he picks them, a couple of nobodies, and he turns them into somebody because they trusted in him. They believed that God would do what he said he would do. And I, I hope that's encouraging to you because it's encouraging to me. You know, many times in my life, I just feel like a nobody. I feel like a nobody with, with nothing to offer God. I've had some warped perceptions in my life about God and a relationship with him. I've thought that I have to live a perfect life for God to care about me. I thought that God only cares about me if I do big, significant things for him. And I felt like, you know, I'm just, I'm just not that person. And yet to understand that God comes along, God pursues people that feel like nobodies. And maybe you feel like that today. God comes along and he pursues us just like he did Abram and Sarai. And he says, I choose you. Not because you're gonna do anything significant. I just choose you because I love you. Because what Jesus has done on the cross for you, I choose you. I choose you to be somebody who lives for me, and I ask you to trust me. So my closing question for you today is, what do you need to trust God with, or what do you need to believe God for? What do you need to trust God with, or what do you need to believe God for? Maybe there's some family issue, or relationship issue going on in your life right now, and, and God keeps asking you to trust him, and you're struggling in that. You're struggling that, that, to, to think that God could step in and really work in that situation. Maybe there's a health issue that you're wrestling with. Maybe there's a financial issue. Maybe there's some fear that you have in your life. Maybe there's some addiction issue that you're afraid to give up to God and trust God with because of the comfort that it's brought you in your life. I mean, there's all kinds of, of ways that we could struggle in our trust with God or struggle with believing that God can do something in our lives. You know, this uh, past summer that is not quite over yet, um, God has chosen to have me work on one of my trust issues. Uh, Anybody else have issues in your life? I I have issues. And uh, I have a few trust issues in my life. Uh, One specifically I've had in my life for most of my life, and it's a conversation God and I have had on a regular basis. And God has taken me through many things that have helped me to learn to grow and trust him more and more and more. And in this summer, God said, you know what, Trent, it's time. We're gonna focus on this again and again and again and again. And I'm like, yeehaw, this is so exciting. I can't wait. I love it when God does it in your life. I hate it when God does it in my life. And so he said, this is the summer. Forget about hanging at the beach, for, you know, forget about kicking back, relaxing, like let's work on this. 
So God has taken me through circumstance after circumstance after circumstance after circumstance where he's asked me to trust him on a specific issue. And I have felt many times like God has stretched the rubber band of my little pea brain and my little life past what I think I can handle. And God says each time, will you trust me, Trent? I'm like, I want to, but wow, I'm struggling. And then he stretches it a little bit farther. Trent, will you trust me? I'm like, I'm about to pop here, God. What are you doing? Will you trust me? So I'm learning how to trust God in this specific issue of my life. And hopefully in a few months, I'll be able to give you a few more details about it. But I'm in that spot. Maybe you're in that spot. So the cool thing about Abraham is that he believed. God said, will you trust me? And Abraham said, I will. I trust that you will do what only you can do. So what do you need to trust God with? What do you need to believe God for? I think God can do the same thing for us that he did for Abraham. He changed his name. He changed Sarah's name. Gave him a new identity, a new legacy. And we interact with him now differently because of that name change. God can give us a new name as well as we learn to trust him. So uh, in just a minute, our worship team is gonna come out. They're gonna close us in a final song. It's a new song for us called Promises by Maverick, Maverick City Worship. And if you're interested in this song, I encourage you um, later today, just check it out however you listen to music. It's a, a fantastic song where it talks about God fulfilling his promises in our lives and what our response should be as we trust him for that. So as we're singing, I encourage you to talk to God about that trust issue. Have a conversation with him about it. If you feel like he's stretching a little rubber band of your life, say, God, ouch, but I want to trust you. I want to trust you with this specific thing and take some steps this week to do that. If Today's conversation has brought up a trust issue that you need prayer for or a conversation about. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby. I encourage you to stop by our care center out there. We've got some amazing people at our care center that would love to pray with you, pray for you, and help you in any way that we can. If you're watching online and you have a need and want to reach out to us, you can just email us at care at theepicchurch.com, and we'd love to engage you in how we can help you. So before we pray, let me just remind you a few things. We aren't the names that other people call us. We are the name that God calls us. And you gotta remember that God loves to take nobodies and turn them into somebodies when we trust him. So let's pray together, and then we'll sing. God, I'm so grateful for stories in scripture that we can read like this one of Abraham and Sarah, Lord, even though this story is 4,000 years old, Lord, this story is still relevant today because sometimes we do stupid things. Sometimes we struggle in what it means to trust you. And yet, God, you are faithful. You will keep your promise to us just like you kept your promise to, to Abraham and Sarah. You'll keep your promises exactly when and exactly how. So Lord, today I just fully believe you're inviting us to trust you in some new way. Lord, maybe there's this trust thing that, that we have with you. It's a specific thing that we're learning to step out and trust you with. Maybe you're stretching us today more than, than we can imagine. Maybe there's some new thing in our relationship with you that you're inviting us into. 
So Lord, may we be like Abraham. May we trust you. May we learn to live a blameless life. Lord, that's not a sinless life. It's a life where we mess up and we make it right. Where we run to you because our belief is in what you have done and your power to transform us and make us into the people that you want us to be. So God, this morning, remind us of your promises. And Lord, may we determine to follow you each step of the way as we learn to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.